This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is December 26, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. My name is Marie Kretzky, and I was at Hofstra Radio from 1999 to 2004. Okay. What shows and programs did you work on at the station? Um, I started off with Uncharted Territory. Um, I participated with the Hofstra's Morning Wake Up Call, Jazz Cafe, Rock and Roll Oasis, and uh, Anarchy, which was this free format programming on a Sunday night. So we were on air from like 11 p.m. to like 4 a.m. in the morning. So uh, it was a wonderful shift. I loved it because you could just play anything you wanted. You know, mm-hmm. within reason, of course. <laughs> right, of course, of course. Um, did you work on any of the, the weekend programs or community volunteer shows? Yes, actually, I had developed such a close relationship um, with the community volunteers. So uh, one that comes to mind is Basha. Mm-hmm. I was one of her engineers for the Polka and Oberic time. Um, also, Earth Simner, when he did Out Behind the Barn. Mm-hmm. Uh Tony Jackson's Irish Country, and uh, the Long Island Ireland show with Eileen Cronin. Um, wow. So it was it was great to work with those uh, individuals on the weekend, and especially um, Basha, because I am half Polish. So, you know, um, going back and listening to all this music that I listened to growing up, mm. and also getting um, the uh, experience of working with vinyl. I mean, I remember as a kid, you know, my parents having the 45s and the 33s, but, you know, queuing up vinyl, right? Making (laughs) sure you're at the right spot for that segue, you know? So it was definitely a a, a memorable experience. Hmm. Um, Oh, it sounds like you were involved in in many different aspects of the station. That's fantastic. Um, Did you have any titles or positions at the station? Yes, actually, I was uh, first assistant news director and then news director. Um, so I had the pleasure of working alongside Ed Ingalls. Hmm. Um, Ed was not only a, a mentor, but almost like a fatherly figure. You know, um, here I am, a college student, right? 19, 20 years old, and I'm working alongside this sports broadcaster with 24 years of experience working for WCBS. I'm saying to myself, wow, this guy's a legend, you know? Mm. And I remember every day Ed would come in and he used to have his Pepsi can and he would put it down and go, okay, Marie, what are we going to do today with news? So back then, uh, down the hallway, we had this small little newsroom. It was a mm. little bit of a thing. And we had the AP copy coming out of the printer. <laughs> and mm-hmm. of course, back then, it wasn't like a laser printer. It still had those edges where you would like pull it off. Yeah. And then, you know, we, we had the computer with the AP uh, wire. And, uh, you know, we would download the sound bites and he taught us how to, you know, cut them and, you know, how we would, you know, go about, you know, producing the news. And, um, that is where I, you know, decided it was actually at that moment when I decided that, you know what, I think I want to declare my major audio radio um, mm. because I came into Hofstra uh, undecided and I had no idea what I wanted to do. So, uh, you know, I am very grateful for that experience that I had. Um, you know, he opened the doors to many avenues that you wouldn't have had anywhere else but at WRHU. Hmm. 
before we started recording, we were talking about um, growing up in Levittown and in that area. And were you aware of Ed as a broadcaster before you started at the radio station? Because a lot of us grew up and we either knew him directly or had heard the name. But were you aware of, of who Ed was before you had started at the station? Um, no, actually not really. I mean, when I first started working there, I mentioned it to my dad and he's like, oh, I used to listen to him on the radio, you know? Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, you know, can you believe this? This is our professional in residence. And, uh, I couldn't believe it, you know? And then he would tell me stories about listening to Ed on the radio. Uh, but it, it was just amazing, you know, cause he would come in every day and, you know, he always at the end of the day after we would do newsline because that was the show back then it was like 15 minutes and then we extended it to a half an hour and you know we would huddle mm -hmm. almost kind of like a coach and his team you know and he would say to us all right you know what do you think we you know uh did right today you know he was always started off on a positive note you know so we would add in our comments okay this was great you know and then he goes all right for tomorrow what do you think we could do better you know, and I think that's a, a great uh, way to teach um, students, you know, to, mm. you know, also to have that positivity, but then also to reflect back on what went on during the show and how we can make it better. Mm -hmm. What an amazing experience. What a, what a mentor. Um, I, I hope you have some more stories, but I want to, I want to get back to the, to the questions here about you starting at Hofstra Radio. When you were on the air, did you have any nicknames or on-air personas? Uh, no, I didn't actually, <laughs> you know, you'd think you would have, but no, I did not have any nicknames. Um, you know, cause I did spend a lot of time. Um, what I could say is I was a news junkie, believe mm. it or not. I mean, I grew up loving radio and playing music, but for some reason I had that news bug in me. So, um, but I always enjoyed doing the shows when I would do the music shows, you know, it was great because mm. you brought out your own personality. You would have people call in, do some requests. So, but I did not have an on-air name. <laughs> you were always you. That's good. I was just always me. That's it. <laughs> All right. Um, so, so I, I get the, the idea of how you got deeply involved with the station and working with Ed, but I want to go back to the very beginning. And this is a two part question and answer however makes sense to you. But I always want to know what is it that brings people to the station in the first place? And then if you could describe what it was like, who did you meet? What did it smell like? What did it look like when you first arrived at Hofstra radio? All right. So actually when I had gotten first accepted to Hofstra, um, I was a commuter and, you know, they usually have that weekend for accepted mm -hmm. students. You stay on campus. So, you know, they, I remember them offering a tour of Dempster Hall. So I said, Hey, why not? You know, I'll go check it out. So they're in studio a, um, they had representatives from the station. I believe at the time, probably Bruce and Ed were there mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, they talked about the station and the different formats and how you can get involved and they uh, mentioned about, you know, a, a training class. And I said, all right. So they're like, fill out a form for interest. And I said, all right, we'll see what happens, you know. And then I got a call from Danielle DeLillo, who was the personnel director at the time. And she said, we'd like you to come in for an interview. So uh, there I was in Bruce's office. I interviewed with uh, Bruce, Ed, and Danielle. And uh, I guess maybe a couple of days later, I got a call back and said, we would like to uh, give you a spot in the uh, full training class of uh, 1999. 
And I was so thrilled because I was mm. like, oh, wow, this is amazing. You know, I'm going to spend, you know, 10 weeks learning about radio, you know, and this is something you you've grew, you grew up on. You, you know, you listen to station, listen to Z100 or any of the other, you know, WBLI and all this. And now you're like, wow, you know, I'm going to be able to learn all the aspects of behind the scenes and what it means to be, you know, on the radio. Hmm. Um, I guess at that time now I'm trying to, you know, recollect. I remember um, <clears throat> we had the training class that was over across in Breslin Hall. And uh, then we would come, you know, to the station. At the time they were still, because this is 99. So I think they had just finished Studio South. And then there was, once I had uh, finished the class, I think it was probably in January of 2000, they had a ribbon ceremony mm. and they opened up Studio North. And it was just amazing to see, you know, we had this brand new board, um, you know, back then it was still CDs, you know, yeah. uh, we even had the cassette desks, the uh, cassette uh, desk, uh, cassette um decks and we even had of course obviously the turntables and you know the mics and then we had a you know a little bit of a collection of cds inside the studio and uh the best part i think about being on the radio i remember is that you know you had that window okay so now everyone coming in and out of dumpster hole would be walking by you know throughout the day you know and someone would stop and listen so uh that was one of my memorable moments of mm. being at wrhu you know because they were actually seeing you while you were live on air mm. um you said you were undecided as a major when you started at Hofstra. Were you thinking about communications was, was that something in the in the discussion what else were you considering studying at the time um, at the time, actually, I had thought about becoming a gym teacher. Hmm. Um, so I came undecided and then I declared my major that uh, second semester as a freshman. Now I had already started at the radio station and uh, I got a little bit involved with the sports department. And then uh, I said to myself, you know, I, I, I love sports and everything, but, you know, I'm not like 24 seven, you know, jock and all this. So I said to myself, you know what? I think I'm going to, you know, go into communications. And so that, that that's where from there, I mean, I, I owe it to WRHU because um, they gave me all that knowledge um, that even helped me with my major itself, you know, mm. and because obviously, I mean, I, li I literally lived at WRHU. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, think yep. I spent more time there than I did at my own home. <laughs> so that, uh, that tracks. Yes, that's that sounds yes. like a familiar story. Definitely. Yeah. Um, now, before you came down for the tour or the interview, did you have any idea in your in your mind's eye what does a a radio station look like? What does a college radio station look like? Because we we missed each other by about uh, about five years or so. And my time okay. at the station was in the basement of Memorial Hall. And that's one image of a college radio station. And you walked in on something else. So did you have an idea of what a station would look like? And what was your impression of the facilities? Um, I'll be honest with you. I uh, uh, first thought, like you said, I remember Memorial Hall, uh, of course, not as when it was, you know, WRHU down there. Hmm. But I remember the basement. And uh, I guess that was my first impression of what 
a college radio station might be, you know, like this one room studio. Mm -hmm. And um, when, of course, then when I came over to Dempster Hall and I saw the facilities, I was just blown away, Mm. you know, and I was like, oh, wow. I mean, I bet this is probably like what, you know, commercial radio stations look like, you know? So, I mean, the amount of uh, materials that we had and having two studios and then even um, adding in on a room for an editing bay and, and so forth. And, you know, as the years went on, even past I graduated and I came back and visited and how, uh, you know, Dempster Hall had just pretty much completely redeveloped into this Mm. whole broadcast industry experience it was just amazing to see so but uh yes i i was totally blown away by you know what bruce had worked so hard at creating for the students it was uh definitely a a pleasure to work there Mm. definitely Hmm. So you mentioned the training class and this 10-week program, which, you know, as an incoming freshman, you're not necessarily realizing you're signing up for another course. What do you remember from this 10-week training course? Were there any bits of uh, instruction or advice that you got or any experiences that stick with you? Um, well, I remember it was pretty intensive, you know, mm. believe it or not. You know, you're putting in, you know, once a week, you would be going at night for I think it was about maybe two hours if I remember correctly and then Mm -hmm. you would have to do uh you know these observation hours you know where you would work um side by side with someone who was already in the station and um then after you graduated from that part you know you kind of would shadow with someone until they thought you know you were ready to get behind the wheel and go for it um Uh, Things that I I do remember, um, you know, Bruce would say to us, you know, this is like the Starship Enterprise, Mm -hmm. you know, that was one of the things that he had said to us. And then I remember Ed Ingalls talking about, no, it's like the buffet table. Take a little bit, you know, when he was trying to give us advice on what we might want to do once we get become part of the uh, radio station so you know you know it's like going to that buffet table take a little bit of this take a little take a taste of that and see what you like and then you know maybe you go down that path so uh but you know once i found out you know i passed the class i was i was so excited because i said Mm. wow now i'm gonna be part of this college radio station you know do you remember uh who taught the course or maybe other people who were in the in the training course with you at the time um well definitely i think definitely i remember at the time the station manager was sean novat mm-hmm. um danielle delolo might have had uh, some ex- um some part of it because now this is going back a little bit so trying to remember definitely mm-hmm. obviously bruce and ed um and actually at the time our operations manager was Michelle Lisi. Mm-hmm. So I remember too, also she had an integral part, you know, in uh, the radio station there too. So, um, but just trying to think back who was in my class, it's a while ago. <laughs> it's a long time <laughs> <hard> to remember. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a pretty good start there. That's a, that's a lot of good names. Um, so, so you go through the course and I guess there was a test that you had to take. You passed the test. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you get on the air for the first time. Do you remember getting on the air for the first time? I do remember getting on the air the first time. And, you know, 
to press that on button for the mic, right? You know, mm -hmm. you're, you're full with all this anticipation, but also you feel like a bag of nerves, you know, because mm -hmm. you're going to know yourself, oh my God, I'm on air and there's people out there listening to me. <laughs> so, you know, you tried to do the best you could preparing for it, you know, looking into the music, looking into the background of artists and so forth. Um, but uh, th yeah, that first time was definitely nerve wracking, you know, but what was so great back then, of course, um, when I first started there at the station, we did not have uh, CD recorders. So I would record myself on, you know, cassette tape. Mm -hmm. And then I would listen back to myself and say, okay, what can I work on? What, you know, what can I improve on? You know, um, the big thing I know with Bruce, he was, uh, you know, it was like his pet peeve was, you know, um, you know, cause I came from Brooklyn, you know, so I had a little bit, not too much because I was only there for five years as a kid. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I would say the word ask, sometimes I would say axed, you mm -hmm. know, and he'd be like, Marie. <laughs> he was like, gotta work on that, gotta work on that, you know? And so I remember those days, you know, so it was great because, you know, I, I had a collection of cassette tapes, you know, because I, I record everything, you know, between our news lines and uh, our Hofstra morning wake up calls. And then eventually we did get a uh, CD recorder in studio. So it was so much easier just to press, you know, mm -hmm. that button and, and you could put hours and hours on the CD. And I still have them till this day, you know? Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Was that something that you decided to do on your own to do those air checks? Or was that suggested by someone or during the class? Um, It probably was suggested during the class, but it was just something that I wanted um to have. You know, I guess, you know, I just thought it would be a great reference point And that would be the only way I could uh, grow as an individual, you know, mm. being on air. You know, and then especially when um, I decided to declare audio radio as my major, you know, um, th those were things that I wanted to work on. So, okay. Was there a moment where you realized, okay, I know what I'm doing. I feel comfortable behind the mic. Or was it just a general feeling of after a little bit of time, you thought, okay, I can do a news program. I can do a music program. I feel comfortable here. Yeah, I would say that. Um, I guess it was... Um... Through, th through the time there, um, eventually, you know, I started dabbling in a little bit of everything. And actually, it was Ed that came to me and, and said to me, hey, did you ever think about doing news? And, mm. you know, uh, I said to myself, no, you know, I mean, growing up, you know, you would watch the local news stations, you know, uh, you know, I grew up in the 80s, you know, mm. and back then there was no cable news and all that. So, uh you know, I remember looking at these broadcasters and saying, hey, yeah, you know, maybe this is something, you know, I do. I used to listen because my parents used to listen to like, you know, 880 and then mm -hmm. 1010 wins. And uh, so I said to myself, hey, yeah, why not? I'll, I'll, I'll dabble in it. You know, I decided, yeah, I'm at this buffet table now and I'm, I'm going to get a taste of it. And really, I, I kind of pretty much caught right on to it. And from that moment on, it was like almost kind of like, you know, this is what I want to do. Um, I, you know, had thought about, you know, news reporting and stuff, but I also enjoyed the behind the scenes, mm -hmm. you know, going and, you know, cutting the tape and also, uh, you know, those audio clips, you know, for 
uh, in between our uh, news copy. And then also, too, doing uh, on-the-street interviews, you know, mm. going out there. Um, at the time, we had, uh, I forgot what they called it, but, uh, you know, it was like the cassette tape with the mic and go out there. And whether we were doing stories about, um, you know, the campus or then I got involved with election night coverage. So, you know, doing all those interviews, being live on air. I remember election night uh, 2003, I was out in Suffolk County at Republican headquarters. And at the time I was uh, interviewing Steve Levy. He was uh, one of the candidates. And Mm -hmm. it it, it was just amazing an experience that you could have gotten nowhere else. Mm. And what a what a nice uh, vote of encouragement to have someone like Ed Ingalls, again, not only as a broadcaster, but as a mentor and a teacher come up to you and say, have you thought about doing this? I think you'd be good at it. What a, yes. what a, a push. What a great uh, way to get into that, to, to know that someone thinks enough of you to suggest that. That must have been amazing. Yeah, it definitely was an amazing experience. And, you know, one thing that came to my mind was um, this morning before, uh, you know, I, you know, signed on with you. Uh, I remember, uh, it was, uh, you know, uh, the morning of September 11, 2001. Mm. So, uh, I happened to be home that morning and, uh, I was getting ready for my afternoon classes and I get a call from my mom and she's like, turn on the TV and it had to be around, I guess maybe eight fifty, eight fifty five. She's like a plane, you know, had went into the, uh, North tower. And, you know, at that moment, I didn't think of anything. I'm going, wow, you know, you have these two towers, you know, how could a plane not see this? Right. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, I continued watching the coverage and then I see it. I know three, that second plane that went into the South tower. And at that moment, literally in my mind, I was like, I need to get to WRHU. Mm. And uh, at, at that time I had had uh, surgery on my left wrist in August. So now I have this cast from my wrist all the way up to my elbow and uh, I had been using my dad as my chauffeur to get me back and forth to my classes because I couldn't drive at the time. So I had mm. him drive me to the station, jumped out the car, and I remember running down the corridor down to Studio A. And already we, you know, had, you know, started broadcasting about this. And um, we were uh, lucky enough, uh, one of our station members, uh, Mike Corbett, mm-hmm. lived, uh, I believe, maybe in Midtown Manhattan. So uh, he was able to do some, you know, because you couldn't leave, you know, you couldn't leave the city, you know, so he was doing reporting from there. And then I remember us sending people up to um, the top floor of the Oxen Library, because I remember always that beautiful panoramic view you had of New York City. And from there, we had people broadcasting from there, you know, saying, oh, my gosh, look at the smoke bellowing and and so forth. And, um, that I think was the day when I, I think I realized to myself that, wow, you know, here we are, uh, college students and we are broadcasting out there with all these other radio stations and TV stations. And we're able to present our point of view, you know, being only like, about what, 40, 40 miles from New York city, Mm. but having that, um, exposure at that moment, breaking news, you know, and knowing that we could do this, um, 
that was that I took that away with me definitely. And then an, another time was I remember back in uh, 2003 we had the blackout that mm-hmm. summer, mm-hmm. and that was just an interesting experience. You know, of course, living there at w- WRHU, I was in the main office. You know, going back and forth between that and. Uh, down at the newsroom and uh, all of a sudden you know everything went dead (laughs) Mm -hmm. silence and I was like what's going on so no you know right away I look at my cell phone I try to make a call no service I'm going what what just happened you know we go try to turn the tvs on nothing and you know right away in my mind I'm going you know it hit me and I was like no this can't be you know for that quick moment I thought to myself you know could this be another 9-11 occurring? Thankfully it was not. But for that, you know, for the airwaves to be silent, because now I'm like going through trying to listen to local stations, I hear nothing, you know, it's just all static. And so we were lucky enough um, because I think we were off air for a couple of hours, but we actually helped local radio stations. So I mm-hmm. think back then it was FM. And uh, we actually went out there and we did some field producing for them. And we were broadcasting from different locations. And I remember bringing it back to the studios and on the air at the time was John Daniels. So um, that was another memorable experience, which, you know, there we are again, you know, these college students working hard, scrambling to get a story out to the public, you know? Hmm. And uh, that's something also that I just uh, took with me. That was uh, something from WRHU, which gave me more experience that I think um, I couldn't have gotten anywhere else. Yeah, yeah, it's a hundred percent true. It's such a unique experience, and and thank you for for sharing those stories. Um, it's so meaningful to hear uh, various different voices talking about this. And I've talked to Dave Plotkin and Andy Gladding and. Mike Corbett and yep. a whole bunch of people about these experiences. And and one of the questions that I have, whether it's 9-11 or there's a, the Colin Ferguson shooting a few years before or, or the blackout or whatever it is, or even to more recent times to the pandemic, there's something about the students at Hofstra Radio that mm-hmm. it could be a terrorist attack, it could be a shooting, it could be a, a major weather event that these 18, 19, 20-year-olds run to the station at this time. And you just said it, you just described that, that you had to get to the station. And the sort of generic question I have is, what is it that makes that happen? Is it something about the students? Is it something about the station? Is it something about the culture? What is it that makes people run to the station at these times of crisis? Um, I guess it's something that just is inside of you, you know? Mm you spend so much time there at the station and, um, you know, pretty much you you devote your life, you know, (laughs) at times I think I devoted a lot more, you know, to the station than I did to my own studies because it was something that I was so passionate about. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, throughout my years of, uh, schooling, you know, up through, uh, high school, you know, I always had a love for music and stuff. And I had told you that uh, Joseph Romano was my band director mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. high school. So there there you go. Another alumni connection. And um, 
you know, it's something that to you, it's like, you know, you had this opportunity, you had, you were given this opportunity to join a college radio station. And it was kind of like your way of giving back, you Mm. know, because, um, countless days and hours that were spent. I mean, just learning from the, you know, the training class and you wanted to be a part of it. This is something that you wanted to be, you know, of course these weren't, you know, nine 11, of course was a very, uh, a somber moment for the country, but this is something that, you know, was, you know, a historic event that, you know, for now many, many, many years, you can go back and say, yeah, I know where I was that day, you know, mm. or during the blackout. I, I remember where I was. I was at WRHU. Mm. So, um, but I think it was just, you know what, really, um, we were like a family, believe it or not, you know, um, it was like almost having um, this extended family. And that's what made WRHU so special. Because every day you walk down those halls and you saw your friends and your, your faculty members. And it was um, such a welcoming feeling, you know, to be part of a, uh, you know, I don't want to say like a club because it really, you know, it, 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 it became, you know, obviously, you know, it was a radio station. But you just always felt like you belonged there, hmm. you know. So I'm I'm hearing you saying that 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 family that that community feeling that idea of responsibility to the listening audience and then that that idea of sort of uh, responsibility is not the right word but that idea that well uh, the station's given me so much I want to contribute and give back and that's that's such a wonderful testimony to why Hofstra Radio is so meaningful to so many of us whether we go through a big event like that or not. Um, right. I think all those things carry through throughout the generations, no matter when you're there. So many of us get that that sort of feeling, that camaraderie and that responsibility and and that empowerment, I think, too, is that here's this chance to do something amazing that not everybody gets to do. And it sounds like you definitely appreciated that that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So another thing that um, I had the pleasure and a great opportunity to be part of was when uh, WRHU went worldwide on the web, mm. you know, that was, uh, you know, that was months and months of planning to know that now we were going to reach anywhere in the world, it's amazing. you know, and, um, that was a moment also too, that, you know, I took away saying, wow, you know, and now, you know, just the other day, cause I'm so involved now as an elementary school teacher. So, you know, and I always kept on saying, you know, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go volunteer. And uh, I think definitely after this interview, you <laughs> know, uh, it's definitely giving me that like push, like, because, you know, I, I remember all those great times and I want to give back to WRHU what they gave to me, maybe as a community volunteer. Um, but uh, to know that, wow, now everyone can hear us. Mm. That was really when it, my mind was blown away. I was like, this, this is awesome, you know? It's something we take for granted now that, uh, I mean, we're communicating over the, the internet now and the computers, and it's just so second nature. But, you know, during your time as an undergrad, that was that was a really new thing, and that was a, an amazing opportunity. Uh, thank you for sharing that. And and I hope you follow through on the, 
community volunteer idea. If, if for no other reason, than you get to hang out with Basha a little bit more often, I'm sure, which is, yes, you know, definitely <laughs> She's the best. Um, you mentioned this a couple of times that you felt like you were at the station more than anywhere else that you spent so much time there and felt like part of a family. Was there a moment where you thought, okay, these are my people, or this is my place, or was it a gradual, just you realize you're, you're in a place that you want to be all the time? Um, I think it was kind of a, a immediate thing I felt hmm. there, you know, um, it was so funny in the music, so the music office, we had couches. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there were times where, you know, we're, we're doing these different shows and spending so much time there. And then, you know, we're like, ah, I think I'm going to take a little nap. And then all of a sudden, you know, cause the, at, I think it was probably a little bit after they put in the swipe. So to get into each room, you needed to swipe your ID card and you hear like a knock on the door and it's Bruce. And he's like, Hey, are you alive in there? <laughs> you know? But, uh, you know, yeah, there were so many times where, you know, you would spend, especially like I would do anarchy on a, on a Sunday, Sunday into Monday morning. And, you know, it's like a four hour show, you know, so you're going straight. And then sometimes I would do Hofstra morning wake up call at 7 a.m., you know? (laughs) So it was like, well, I could go out into my car, but it's too cold out there, you know? So let me go hang out here in the music office, get a couple of Z's. But yeah. no, I think it was immediate thing that I felt um, when I walked into that station um, after, you know, um, obviously finishing the class and, and doing all those hours and stuff that I felt this is the place I want to be. You know, there's no no other place where I would want to be on campus. I mean, Hofstra is an amazing university, but um, it was my home. It was my home. Mm. Um, obviously we're having this conversation all these years later and, and these stories are obviously very meaningful to you. We have an idea that Hofstra Radio became very important to you, but if you could go back in your mind's eye to, to being 18 years old and, and starting at Hofstra at that mm-hmm. moment in time, what did you hope Hofstra Radio would mean to you and what did it become? Um, you know, looking back now and being that 18 year old in this, you know, uh, radio station, um, I never took anything for granted, you know, Mm. uh, everything that was offered to me, I appreciated. Um, but now that I look back, you know, I'm 42 years old and, uh, I work in a school with elementary school students. So, uh, Mm. And, you know, as a teacher myself now, you know, I'm able to give back. And I, I think, you know, Bruce and Ed and all the individuals, all the faculty that I, I, I worked with um, at uh, Dumpster Hall. And I now when I look back at it, I go, wow, you know, look at all that experience that you gained by being part of the radio station, besides then declaring audio radio as my major. But um, back then, you know, at 18, 19, you didn't know what you wanted to do the rest of your life, you know, but I have to say that I I think WRHU because it opened, um, it opened my eyes to see the world of communication. You know, I, I always loved to communicate. I still do. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, as, as an educator, you're doing that mm-hmm. for six and a half hours a day, you yep. know? Yep. And uh, I, I just deal now, I communicate with six-year-olds, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, um, with all that, you know, kidding aside though, um, but being able to um, look back at it now, um, it's something that I am so glad that that day I, I went and took the tour of Dumpster Hall. You know, things happen for a reason, right? You know, yeah. WRHU had tables set up there, did a little talking, um, you know, doing my interview. You know, even uh, Danielle DeLillo and I were still in contact. And, uh, you know, she goes, I remember what you were even wearing that day. You know, <laughs> it's like crazy, right? You know? And she's like, when you left that room, I, I told Bruce and Ed, I was like, we, we need her in that class, you know? So, and just, you know, coming across, like I, I was saying to you before on, on air, um, it just happens that one of my coworkers is Will Shelley, mm. who, you know, yourself you yeah. know, from your time at uh, WRHU. And uh, we started to reminisce, even though, again, there was, you know, a gap in time and, but just talking about the radio station. Um, so now as you know, I mean, back then, I guess I was considered an adult, but now I consider myself a real, you know, full fledged adult. Um, WRHU will always be part of my heart, no matter, you know, even though I, um, obviously am not there now, but, uh, just listening to all the interviews that you've been doing with all these individuals, it's just, amazing the the things that start kind of making you recall what happened at WRHU you know because as I was listening to different interviews I was like oh my gosh this clicked in my head and that clicked because you know it's been a while you know I went to the 60th anniversary and it was great to see you know Bruce and Ed because you know I I had taken a time I was in communications for five years and then I had left it and decided to go into teaching so, um, and I still miss it till this day, you know, once you're in uh, broadcast news, it's, it's in your, it's in your blood, you know, it, you never lose it. Amen. Um, you know, <laughs> so, but definitely, uh, looking back at those days now, um, as an adult, I, I greatly appreciate all the experiences that WRHU gave to me. It, it sounds like you didn't know what was ahead of you, but it oh. sounds like you appreciate it now. Yes. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Mm. I mean, uh, you know, if I would go back now, you know, obviously things, so many things have changed in, in the field of communications, you know, between, right. you know, you know, radio, radio is not what radio used to be, but, you know, for, for a college station to still be existing after all these years, right. And the number of uh, awards that, you know, WRHU has won mm-hmm. and the experiences, you know, I remember the visions of Ed Ingalls saying, you know, one day we're going to be broadcasting Islanders games and these games and that games, you know, and these are these envisions that they had for the station. And now to be here to see it and hear it is, is mind blowing, you know? Absolutely. Uh, Murray, this has been so wonderful to hear your stories. And uh, again, I, I just, I get chills thinking about the common experiences and the ideas and the things that are, are passed down generation to generation. I've got a bunch of other questions. I'm hopeful you have more stories to share because this has been fantastic. 
I'm so appreciative. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Definitely. It's been a pleasure.